Hello, everybody, and welcome to Urban Green's new podcast, Building Tomorrow, where we have conversations with climate solvers. My name is Chris Halfnight, and I'm Senior Director of Research and Policy here at Urban Green. And today I'm joined by my teammates and colleagues, Adam Scheibor and Danielle Manley. Adam, Danielle, hello. How are you doing? Hey, Chris. Great to be here on the inaugural episode. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, it's really exciting. I'm excited to try out this new format and discuss our research. It's going to be good. Excellent. Me too. So Adam manages our research work here at Urban Green and Danielle manages our policy work. So we're, we're in good hands for the inaugural episode. So we at Urban Green are all really excited to be trying out this new format. This is uh, the, the very first episode of our podcast series. And the aim of this series is to demystify complex ideas about buildings and energy systems. And we're also planning to introduce you to people who are solving climate change bit by bit. Today's episode, we're focused on Urban Green's recently re released research analysis called Exploring Equitable Electrification. And uh, with the team here today, we're going to try and take this technical subject and unpack it a little bit for you and share some of the team's perspective on the project. Uh, the publication is on the website. It's linked in the description, and we encourage you to check it out. This most recent research found that environmental justice areas in New York City have exciting early building electrification opportunities, but they could also see the earliest electric grid constraints. So Adam, our latest publication builds on an analysis we did last year that was called Grid Ready. What was that project? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so um, like you said, Grid Ready was a big project, big research project, and then subsequent research report, which you can find on our website, um, that started with a question that was, we're hearing a lot that um, if, a, if a building owner decided to electrify their building by switching out the fossil fuel heating and hot water system to heat pumps that are powered by electricity, that that would somehow break the grid or there wouldn't be enough electricity to serve that building. So we wanted to answer that question. Um, it will electrification break the grid, quote unquote. And so we did a pretty comprehensive study where we converted um, all of New York City's over 1 million buildings from fossil fuel heating and hot water equipment to electric heat pumps. And the short answer is that the, the grid will not break um, if we electrify buildings. Um, and that's, that's mostly driven by there is currently a 42, about a 42% difference between the amount of electricity we use in summer versus the amount of electricity that we use in winter, right? And when we're talking about electrification, especially for heating and hot water, we're talking about most of that new electrical demand happening in, in winter. So um, we have this kind of delta between what we currently use in summer and what we, current, what we currently use in winter that we can fill up with building electrification before, um, before we run into any like uh, electrical capacity or grid constraints. And to put a, maybe a little finer point on that, uh, our analysis in Grid Ready found that we can probably electrify between 30 to 50% of building square footage in New York City before crossing this threshold between um, summer and winter um, that, that I just kind of explained, so. Great, thanks, Adam. So that's the the aggregate sort of citywide look at at the impact of electrification over time on, on the the grid and the building demand that's that's hitting the grid. 
what aspects of the study prompted us to take on this, the project we're talking about today, which is the equitable electrification analysis? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like you said, that's an aggregate view. So this 42% number is for this, all of New York City together, but that's not actually how the electrical grid is built out in New York City. Um, and the Con Edison, which provides electricity to almost all of New York City, um, breaks the city up into about 70 different what they call network areas. And you can think of these network areas as like local grids that sh can share electricity, but it's very difficult to share electricity between these different network areas. Um, so what we did in this analysis is we broke the city down into those, those same 70 different network areas. And we did this analysis for each of those network areas. And one of the most kind of surprising and then kind of interesting findings that we found is that the local grid areas that were seeing the earliest increase in power demand due to electrification and thus possibly um, the earliest grid constraints, right, where winter demand is starting to exceed summer demand once we start electrifying buildings, um, were in these dense residential neighborhoods in Brooklyn and the Bronx primarily. So neighborhoods like Crown Heights in Brooklyn, Fordham in the Bronx um, were, were, were the areas where both demand was rising the fastest and where um, we possibly could run into a situation where we might need to add grid capacity to meet the electrification demand. So we really wanted to explore that um, from, a, from an equity lens and see if there's any um, interesting findings there. Great, yeah, so this was a, a super interesting finding coming out of the first grid ready analysis. And, and we really uh, dive into it in, in the equitable electrification analysis, but let, let's break that down a little bit further. Why are those areas moving earlier? Why are different parts of the city kind of seeing that, that earlier electrification, uh, that faster pace, that, that potentially earlier grid constraint than other parts of the city? Yeah, so part of it is part of the assumptions we made in the study, right? So heat pump technology is is currently innovating very quickly, right? So 10 years ago, heat pumps, people didn't think they could use heat pumps for anything below 40 degrees. Now we feel very comfortable. We have cold climate heat pumps. So it's a, a space that's changing a lot. So right now, and we spoke to advisors, um, advisors, building owners, manufacturers, all types of people working in this space, they, they thought that the technology that's currently out there for heat pumps, for, heat, for heating buildings was most suited right now for buildings, uh, low rise buildings. So that's like one to four family homes and then multifamily buildings under seven stories, right? So that's where the technology is the, the simplest, the retrofits are the simplest, so the design is the simplest, and then it's also the lowest cost equipment, right? You can, there are heat pumps that can that can heat a high rise, but they're, it's a more complicated design and it is typically more expensive. So based on that, we decided to say that the, the first buildings to electrify in the New York City are predominantly going to be these low rise residential buildings. And thus those low rise residential buildings are obviously not in um, downtown or FIDI, they're in um, kind of in Brooklyn, the Bronx, Queens, um, in more residential neighborhoods. Um, 
And then also one point is that these residential buildings currently use a lot of fossil fuels for their heating and um, hot water. So there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of energy use that needs to be pushed onto the grid, right? You need to push your entire heating load onto the grid to use electricity instead of, um, so yeah, um, that those were some of the reasons. Yeah, and just building on that point, Adam, I think uh, the, the point here is that these areas tend to have lower grid capacities because using electricity for these purposes for heating and hot water or so much of the city's electrical grid capacity was built out to serve those high rise um, big buildings in Manhattan and the financial district um, that just use so much electricity. But as residential building electrification is ramping up over time, and specifically the buildings that we're talking about, um, more electricity demand is going to be coming from these neighborhoods. And so, um, you know, this analysis here was really looking at the interaction of that and, and when do we need to start being concerned about electricity um, and the grid for these areas. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember um, having discussions around, you know, some of the other factors that are maybe outside of the analysis we ran. Uh, there are policy drivers and there's uncertainty in the policy landscape uh, as to exactly what will affect the pace of electrification. Certainly in local in uh, New York City, local on I-7 is a big factor for large buildings. There's, there's the recently passed uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which is going to send a whole lot of incentives for heat pumps. Um, that will very much be applicable in smaller buildings. So uh, there, there are, of course, plenty of factors that, that will affect this rollout across the city and the pace in different areas with different building types, um, but, but a lot of uncertainty in that. And so, um, you know, this was sort of the, the path that our analysis charted based on the input from our advisor group. So, so given all that, you know, that's the grid ready conclusion and, and the kind of findings we were pulling out of the, the work we did uh, a year or so ago. What analysis did we do with that in, in this equitable electrification piece that's on our website now? Adam, do you want to walk us through the, the analysis for that? Yeah, definitely. So like I mentioned before, there's a geographical component to the grid ready research that we did, right? So um, we decided, well, great. So we have this, we have our electrification projection results by geography, by these 70 different Con Ed network areas. Um, and then we also have this new geographical tool um, called environmental justice areas that the city published. So um, we decided, let's just compare these two, right? So let's take our electrification projections and overlay them with the city's um, environmental justice area geography. And um, what we found uh, was that the 15 New York grid areas that may see the fastest electrification um, um, from our grid ready research um, and possibly the earliest grid constraints from building electrification are primarily and densely filled with environmental justice areas. Um, so really seeing a correlation between these, um, these areas that we, um, that we found in grid ready that might see early electrification and possible grid constraints and um, areas that the city has identified as environmental justice areas. Let's unpack the, the, this concept of an environmental justice area a little bit. It was pretty central to, to the analysis you just explained, Adam. Danielle, can you share a little bit on the city's work with, with EJ areas 
and, and that whole process? Yeah, definitely. Um, and so the city does have this ongoing comprehensive study of environmental justice um, as directed by a pair of laws that were passed in 2017. Um, and just for some of the listeners who aren't aware of the term or maybe aren't as familiar, environmental justice is the concept that all people have the right to live and work and play in communities that are safe and free from environmental um, harm and pollution. Um, and that's regardless of race, regardless of disability, age, background. Um, and so the city uh, has been undertaking this effort to uh, determine where those communities are in New York City. Um, because people who are living in environmental justice communities tend to be uh, lower income. They tend to experience a disproportionate burden of environmental harms like pollution exposure, impacts from climate change like um, extreme heat vulnerability. Um, they have worse he uh, health outcomes in the face of those things. And they also have higher energy burdens. So all of these things interact with what we're we're talking about today and why we felt it was so important to look at the crossover between the electricity grid and people living in environmental justice communities. Um, and as part of the city's work, um, they created an interactive map of environmental justice areas across the city. And as part of our data analysis, building on the grid constrained areas that we saw in grid ready, we overlaid that map um, with um, the city's map of environmental justice communities. Um, and that's what we're really talking about today. The key outcomes from there show um, where there is a, a pretty significant amount of overlap between where these areas that will experience grid constraints first, because these buildings tend to be a little bit easier to electrify, um, and environmental justice communities. Um, and so the, the work and the research that we presented in the article really highlights that point. Great. Yeah. And, the, and, you know, this is quite visually striking in the in the graphics we have on the web page. You can really see the the very clear overlap between the network areas that Adam mentioned and these and the environmental justice areas. So I want to make sure that we we talk a little bit about a potential conclusion that some might draw from from this discussion, from what we have in the uh, on the uh, web page, which is that you know, should we delay electrification? Is this is this some kind of uh, looming threat? What what does it all mean in terms of the pace of electrification in these areas? You know, is is the delay the the takeaway that that we should be getting from from this work? Yeah, I, it's something. Yeah, Chris, we we went back and we didn't go back and forth, but with this this dynamic that you're talking about, and the answer is no. Like that's not what we're saying here. Um, so as, as you'll remember at the start from our grid ready research, we found a 42% difference between our current summer usage and our current winter usage. So what that's telling us is that a building that wants to electrify can do it right now with no issues at all. Um, and so we think early adoption electrification should go ahead full steam ahead and especially if it's in environmental justice areas where there's a lot of, of co-benefits to electrifying your home right now. So um, what we're saying, we're certainly not saying you shouldn't electrify right now. What, what we are saying is that we need to start thinking about the future, right? We need, and we have time to plan for the future and it's better to think about possible grid constraints in the future now when we have time to, to address them than to wait in, until it happens and then, and then we're, in, we're in a tough situation. But 
yes, definitely don't want to stop electrification. If you want to electrify your building, you should go out and do it. The grid can handle it. Yeah. And not only like, should we not wait? Like there are a lot of important reasons to electrify and electrify as soon as possible. Um, I mean, the main technology we've been talking about are heat pumps, um, which bring better health and comfort benefits to people who um, live in buildings, especially in environmental justice communities. Um, heat pumps move buildings away from burning fossil fuels on site and releasing pollution into the indoor air where people are living. Heat pumps bring uh, an added benefit of cooling during a summer heat wave, which we know from climate projections that New York City is going to experience more and more. And we know that people living in um, environmental justice communities face a bigger burden from that. Um, and, and heat pumps are more efficient. They use energy more efficiently. They use um, less energy to heat the same amount of space. Um, and so um, there, there are many reasons to electrify now. And, and this shouldn't be a cautionary tale to not electrify. It's, we, have, we have time to plan. We have time to prepare for the grid to um, be ready to serve the increased demand from electrification. Great. And, and we've got some um, graphics and, and narrative exploring some of those benefits that you just mentioned, Danielle, on the, on the page itself. So some really nice interactive graphs on, um, on air pollution, on heat vulnerability, and on energy and security um, in New York City buildings. Uh, so I encourage uh, our listeners to, to check all those out. Um, I think the, uh, the tension you were mentioning, Adam, on, on sort of from a, a storytelling perspective on this uh, opportunity here and then the possible, uh, the kind of message around possible constraints, I think that's a really interesting tension that we were grappling with is how to really balance, um, you know, kind of raising some, some questions that need to be unpacked and explored for, for future planning with our organization's mission and our, our climate progress generally and how electrification aligns with that and the need to really scale heat pumps as, as fast as we feasibly can in New York City. I think that was a real, a real lesson learned for us in trying to structure uh, this analysis and, and sort of tell a story through it. What else um, comes to mind as, as lessons learned or things we learned through um, this analysis and creating this this report. I mean, I think one of the um, the biggest things we learned is that we're we're not the only ones thinking about this. I think um, in New York City, in New York State, and nationally, there's a really there's a growing focus on low and moderate income communities and how um, we we can make sure that as we undertake this energy transition to electrify our building stock, that we're not leaving people behind. Um, in buildings that are continuing to pollute fossil fuels in their buildings. Um, so like uh, the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act in New York State um, requires that 35 to 40% of the benefits go towards low and moderate income communities. Um, the Inflation Reduction Act directs um, resources to go towards low and moderate income communities. And there's a lot of resources out there um, from state, and uh, state incentive programs that focus on providing resources um, uh, to people who are not as able to afford this change. So the support is out there. Um, there's a growing focus on it. Um, and we hope that our research could help shed light on that, that growing work. Yeah, and, and just to, just to um, build on that, I think we also acknowledge that 
this electrification only overlaps with a small portion of environmental justice topics. And there's a lot of very important environmental justice topics that um, need consideration that don't really have anything to do with electrification. So um, we're really trying to like, talk about where there's overlap in this piece, but acknowledging that we're not experts on this topic completely. And that there's a lot of great other resources um, that people should look into on this topic. I, one other area I think that we we also spent a lot of time discussing is is tenant protections and um, I think Danielle and Adam both of you touched on uh, energy cost burden or energy insecurity a, a little bit earlier but I think that's another area you know we've we've been um, engaging in that topic since our going electric report uh, um, and, and where we flagged it as an important consideration. We need to make sure that the electrification transition uh, is is mindful of energy cost burden, of potential implications for renters and, and tenants, um, and include safeguards. And so we we did touch on that a little bit here as well. And I think it it's um, it's an area that uh, in talking to some of the advisors and and stakeholders we we talked to. In producing this, where you know it's an area that clearly needs significantly uh, significant ex exploration in, in future, whether it's Urban Green or another organization doing so. There's there's um, thinking still to do on on what policy safeguards need to be in place to ensure the transition not just doesn't harm uh, tenants, but also benefits tenants. Um, the last section on our page. Let's maybe conclude with that and in the the online web resource has a, a whole lot of resources, uh, help, uh, kind of links to other activities on this topic or in the space. Um, let's just run through maybe a, a highlight from each of us. Um, and I'll start with the uh, incentives in particular, the Inflation Reduction Act I mentioned earlier. There are some some links uh, at the the bottom of our page here to some of the um, content of the IRA and and really it's a a game changing uh, policy package for electrification. There are significant in incentives, including uh, rebates on the order of up to eight thousand uh, dollars to install heat pumps in an in an apartment or home. Um, so that's really going to change the landscape, um, and there's more money coming through that vehicle in in uh, the form of low-cost financing as well. Um, so that's to me is a real highlight for for our resources. Um, Danielle, Adam, have you got a, a highlight to flag for us in in the links we're including at the bottom of the report? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd like to call out like the many other groups that are working to advocate for the inclusion of a focus on environmental justice communities in climate planning, both in New York City and at New York State and nationally. Like there's a lot of groups um, who are doing very good work here. So groups like WEACT and UPROSE um, and, and focus on getting uh, people connected um, to electrification resources um, and shedding light on these issues. And I think that there's so much on the ground work that's going on um, and they are constantly <laughs> making strides in this field and, and um, we have to shout them out. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'll just point out also like New York City 
government has great resources in terms of the NYC accelerator. So if you're a building owner or you live in a building even, you can go to the NYC accelerators website and they can talk about not just electrification, but efficiency work that can be done in your building and how to access that, how to, how to help pay for it, connect you to resources. So um, I think the, yeah, the theme I'm hearing is there's a ton of, there's a ton of resources out there and, and people should, should, I think our, our page helps bring some of them, but also, um, yeah, there's tons of stuff out there to help. Great, so that's a, a small window into our work on exploring equitable electrification. We're also working on a future episode of this podcast to continue the conversation about equitable electrification with an environmental justice expert who's working to advance electrification in New York City. So stay tuned for that. I want to thank Adam and Danielle for, for sharing some insights today. Thank you, Chris. This is hard work being the host. Uh, <laughs> I think you did a good job leading us on our first episode. I, I uh, appreciate the plaudits. Um, <laughs> I, I also want to note that all everything we covered today, all the resources, um, all of the analysis is linked in the description. Uh, so check that out. And thank you to Urban Greens members and sponsors. If there are listeners out there who would like to become a member, please visit urbangreencouncil.org. And thanks again for tuning in today. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing so that you don't miss out on any of the great conversations to come. We'll see you next time. <laughs>